0: Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm your host and the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Rebecca Bernard. One of the main reasons given for the expansion of non-physician practitioners is a lack of access to physicians. A huge factor causing a physician shortage is a shortfall in the number of residency positions, but another contributor that we don't always hear about is the number of physicians that are leaving the workforce. Doctors are increasingly burned out and depressed about the state of healthcare, and many experienced clinicians are seeking a way out of the practice of medicine, choosing to retire early or change to a non-clinical role. So today, we're going to discuss a really important cause of this physician despair, an often toxic work environment experienced by physicians across the country. And there's no one better to address this issue than my guest today, Dr. Doug Ferrego. Doug has been fighting to improve the state of medicine for decades, and his most recent book, The Hospital Guide to Physician Retention, is focused on improving the work environment for physicians. Dr. Ferrego, welcome to the show.
1: I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of yours. I love your book. It's around here somewhere. I reference your book in my book, And so, yeah, obviously, we're of the same mind.
0: You've been an inspiration not only to me, but to so many other physicians. You've been a pioneer in the direct primary care practice space. You're an inventor. You've been a magazine publisher. You're the author now of multiple books. The list just goes on and on. So start us out by just sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got to this position.
1: For 15 years, I was employed by two different hospitals. And so uh, I know that world really well. And I realized that I could not exist in that world. That's my personality and the way medicine was going. And that's before the crap of what we're seeing of replacements and quality metrics and other things that are horrific, right? And so to save my career in life, I did direct primary care and I exited in I think 2014. And I wrote three books on direct primary care. I think that's the savior of primary care, and personally, for me, and for specialty care as well. But I always felt that, you know, I left people behind, most of us, actually, you got to think there's not that many of us doing direct care. So I felt like there has to be something because we're seeing this massive burnout, the great resignation. And so there's got to be something we can do to help them. But you and I know who do, do direct primary care, We can fix this system on burnout pretty easily. We get rid of insurance companies. We get rid of billing. We have a membership model and you have more time. You enjoy your life. You enjoy medicine again. Now, unfortunately, that's a slow movement, but that is the easy fix. Since we can't do that for the people who are stuck, I wanted to write about the things that we can do. And there are some things that can be done. And the question is, do the CEOs and administrators want to do it? And that we can discuss because that's a debate.
0: Well, you know what you're saying is so right in the sense that I believe direct primary care or direct care, which because specialists can do it too, is absolutely the answer for our broken healthcare system. But I understand that there are some physicians who really are tied to a hospital system. You know, our yeah. surgical colleagues, our of course hospitalists, ER doctors. There they might have a few options here and there, but overwhelmingly it's really hospital based. So that's one of the yeah. things that I love so much about your book. The idea behind it is to try to encourage and inspire healthcare administrators to understand better what they need to do to keep physicians, retain them to make sure that they're happy so that they can provide great care to patients, which is really what it's all about. So you wrote this book actually for administrators and tell, tell us a little bit about why you realized that that was the approach you wanted to take.
1: The, the truth is, I want to help my physician colleagues in the system, right? I, and happy doctors stay. Happy doctors make happy patients. Happy doctors recruit other happy doctors. And then the other end is, you save them so much money. So in the recent numbers I put in my book, two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand, maybe half a million dollars to replace a doctor. Now the numbers up to a million. Okay, so you can think, and that just study just came out. So you gotta think. Well, if I'm a person in administration you know, I may want to not care about my ego so much. I want to do what it takes to take one doctor. So my $25 book could save you a million bucks and that should convince them enough to be buying this book and they're not. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And, and in fact, I was shocked in my first job. You know, you talk about in the book how hospitals and clinics spend a lot of money to recruit physicians. They wine yes. and dine you. They tell you so many wonderful things. And then as soon as you sign on the dotted line and you walk in the door, all of a sudden, you're almost treated like garbage, like you're totally dispensable. And it's shocking. And it's, I don't understand the psychology of it. Maybe we need to bring on a psychiatrist to help us with that. It
1: makes no sense, right? So the cup- Cover of my book, as well as if you go to physicianretention.com, it's a bucket filled with a hospital symbol on it being filled with water with holes coming out of it, all the water is coming back out. It makes no sense to keep filling the freaking bucket up if you don't patch the holes. Okay. In fact, I was going to call the book, Plug Your Holes. Okay. Because the bottom line, if you don't plug your holes, you're losing money. Now, what you said is exactly right. They wine and dine, you spent all this money to recruit you, and then they forget about, oh, maybe the first few few months is that a, is a kind of grace period, but then they just devalue by not even knowing you. I mean, I remember going from one hospital to another in Maine, and it was a big coup for that second hospital to get our group of three doctors to come over, and we did, and they had a big open house party. The CEO was there hugging us, and within six months, I went to a restaurant at, at noon, and the CEO was sitting right next to me and didn't recognize me and didn't acknowledge me. Now, does that leave a mark? It does. These are the simple things I put in the book. Know who your doctors are. At least recognize them. Hey, Dr. Doug, how's things going over over there? That little bit means a lot. And you know what? That may stop one doctor from leaving. Now there's a million other things you can do. I put in the book, but the bottom line is they're ignoring this at their own peril. And I'm giving them not all the answers because there is no all the answers, but I'm giving them from the doctor's perspective what it could take to keep them. And you would think they would eat that up, except when I sent advanced copies out, many were pissed to the point where I just laughed and wrote on my book, on the emblem on the cover, I wrote nine out of 10 administrators hate this book and it blows me away, but it is a reality. They hate it.
0: Yeah, that was one of the most interesting parts of your book, which is just the first chapter of the preface, actually, where you talk yes. about how angry and irate and yeah. to the point where you're like jokingly saying, like, maybe I need to get some therapy here because people yeah. just are, are outright rage that you would have yeah. the audacity to tell them what you think they should do as a physician with all this experience. They are right. just infuriated by it. So what are your thoughts on why that's yeah. happening?
1: Well, it's okay. So every other industry, tech, especially big tech, everybody actually are doing what they can to retain employees. They're doing things like wine bars and parties and and ping pong tables and video whatever they can whatever they can do to retain these employees who are well trained and worth a lot to keep a coder. A doctor's a million dollar loss. You should think we would these administrators would eat this up but there's ego involved. And I don't know where this happened. And maybe because doctors have egos too, right? We've been through a lot and we've never really, we've had to go through chain of command because we had residents and attendings, but we don't love being told by administrators how to do patients. And so there's a battle going on there. And so if people don't release their ego, especially administrators, they're going to lose in this. But these people who read my parents' copies were angry that I mentioned things like, maybe you should think about acknowledging doctor's day. Maybe you should think about a doctor's lounge, a physician liaison, all these things, whatever it takes, get your ego out of it and save a million dollars. Why that's for one doctor. Also in my book, Rebecca, I talked about when I first started, I remember at a residency, uh, I was recruited by two past residents to one place in central Maine, which is not the most beautiful place in Maine, central Plain. It was not the coast and it's freezing. But the initial administration treated us well. They had a physician liaison. They had this. I remember going calling my uh, an intern who was my friend, and I got, then there's biscotti and nice coffee in this doctor's lounge. And that biscotti eventually led to him coming and then another one coming. And then we had been, he got two of us. We had 10 doctors recruited because of biscotti. Okay. I mean, that's simplified, but you know what I'm saying? Those little things. You know how much they gave none of that money even bonuses sending the doctors for recruiting fees, by the way. We did all the recruiting, but it was fine. And then they lost their way, got rid of the lounge, got rid of the liaison, and doctors and did little things that doctors started leaving. But you can do it, you can see how it can domino affect the right way, or can domino affect the wrong way. And I can't understand why they don't. Now, it could be their ego. It could be there's contempt for doctors. It could be they're thinking, all oh, these doctors need more resilience in their, in their burnout. It's a doctor issue. It's not our issue. It's every excuse you want to make. And you can make them, but you're going to
0: lose money that way. Well, yeah. I mean, you make a couple of really important points in this book regarding how physicians are talking with each other more than ever now. You mentioned the biscotti and just the word of mouth, but even now the social media has taken it to a whole different level where we can get online and talk to our friends and colleagues and people we went to school with across the country. And you can really tell them what's going on at your hospital with either a really good thing, like, Hey, you should come here and work here or stay away.
1: Yeah, exactly. There was an article that came out about a walkout in San Jose in an ER and um, about this. And it's a ch- corporate chain. And the CEO denied all the things these doctors are saying. And I'm like, okay, if that's true, if you're denying everything, when's the last time you saw doctors walk out? Okay. They can't be all lying. And I, I did not write this book, Pointing Fingers. I hate you, CEOs. This is why it's so bad. I point out there's good doctors and bad doctors. I point out that doctors can be ridiculous egos that I can't, about 15%, I, in my estimation, I can't stand. So it's not that anybody's evil or perfect or either way. I'm just trying to say, hey, here's some things you can do. And why don't you do them? Because I think you may save yourself a lot of money. And yet they still had anger for me to do for well, it.
0: let's hope that we are targeting those administrators out there or physicians that are administrators or physicians that know administrators that they think would benefit from this book and let's right. talk to them about why they should read this book because it really is outstanding you go through and you outline the problem which you and I could go on and on and on about because we understand that problem but let's focus right now on solutions and some of the things that you have recommended and
1: Here's why doctors are happy, by the way, that when they feel they can truly treat patients, when they feel valued, and they have a meaningful relationship with their colleagues and their patients and their coworkers, then they're happy, right? The reverse is burnout, right? They're unhappy. And so that doctor who's unhappy leaves, and then who's taking care of those patients? Now, unless they think, oh, this goes back to your book, which is going to be Found to be false is so all can they're they're replaceable like like chess pieces and and pawns. And that is not true. The training and education we have compared to a mid-level nurse practitioner PA is not even close. Training and education matter over and over again. It matters, it matters, it matters. I think you point, I know you pointed out the lawsuits going against hospitals for employing people that are not truly educated and trained enough. And if that continues, because lawyers do follow the money as well, and those lawsuits continue, there's going to be more outcry for physicians. And so keep the ones you have, especially keep all the good ones. Obviously, no one needs to keep bad doctors, but keep the good doctors at any cost, which means, hey, know when their birthday is, know if they're meeting, having a community. Don't keep them isolated and separated because you think if you do that, you can control them. That doesn't work. It just never has worked.
0: So you actually have a strategy that you're recommending to administrators. And first of all, you say doctors need to feel valued. And so you say that the very first thing that these organizations should do is actually analyze their situation. And you talk about something I never heard of, which was a net promoter score. Talk, explain a little bit about what that is.
1: As I'm writing this book and I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There's no physician retention programs out there. Maybe 10% of hospitals have one supposedly. And then of those, they ask doctors, do you really have one? Like, no, half of them, like, we don't have one. And so it's it's a joke. And now who does physician retention? Physician recruiters? Well, if physician recruiters did their job and retention was great, they wouldn't have be recruiting doctors anymore. So it's a conflict of interest. The other issue is no doctors involved on physician retention programs. But the easiest way to see if your hospital is doing a good job is not physician retention rate, because we don't know how to calculate that. Every hospital lies about their retention rate. Oh, our turnover is a certain percentage. They're lying, everyone. I worked at a, I put this in the book, but urgent care center one for a year. I won't mention a name, but they said, oh, our retention rate's like 6.9%. I'm like, uh, this center has had 80 doctors in a year come through 80, 80,
0: the same thing happened in a, corp- a company I worked for a federally qualified health center and we just watched doctors leave and leave and leave and when I complained about a lot of the problems they said well what are you talking about I said but look at all these doctors leaving and they said oh no this doctor left because their their wife didn't like it here this doctor yes. left because and and of course they were completely wrong that was not yeah. why they had left they were left because they were very discontented with the situation but like you said they are not they don't really have a good understanding of why people are leaving
1: they don't want to know the number. They'll lie about the number. The doctor will lie why they're leaving because they don't, want to a bad, they don't want to burn bridges, right? And because they don't – so there's a lot of reasons why retention rates are useless. So you go back to what's called the Net Promoter Score, which is by Reichhold, who started this book. He wrote a book in 2006. And there's one for customers, and there's one for employees. And the employee one is that I would use for hospitals. And I'm actually, if you look at the website, uh, I would actually help certify them in this because I don't think anyone will certify positive, but, and I won't mention them if they're negative. If you ask the doctors and you got to ask them all, would you recommend this hospital for, to a colleague or friend to work, work at? It's from one to 10. And now, a, so here's the first thing. Doctors hate answering surveys where we know it's crap and we just blow them off. You just... Say, listen, this is a one question from one to 10, you're done. That would get more people participating. So one through 10. And if you have the, the highest ones who recommend it and you subtract the lowest ones who don't recommend it, but well, you can see who's positive and who's negative. Now, most tech companies are do so much for their employees, they're like positive 50. Most hospital systems are net in the negative 20, negative 30, negative four. Mostly people are detractors or hate the place than than not and and so the only physicians that uh, Reichhold found the physician groups who are run by physicians they're in a the slightly positive range, so I challenge any hospital who claims they have low turnover rate doctors uh, love it here, and maybe they do, but you're you don't know you don't know unless you ask that question, and why do you want to ask that question? Well, then if it's not a good score, then you need to hire somebody to come in and figure out why it's not a good score and what you can do to fix it. And all that work could save you one doctor from leaving. And that one doctor has just saved you a million bucks. It's a very simple thing. You can't have the hospital do it themselves because they'll blow it right? Because no one likes the HR person and no one really trusts the system in the first place. We've all been there. And so you then you say, okay, we'll bring out an outside consultant. And I wrote in my book a chapter why we dislike consultants. So they need the right consultant who was a physician. They need to do that net promoter score to analyze it. And then, then you got to go in and, and, and see how you can fix it. And there are some simple things and there are some hard things, but I think you have to start.
0: I think what you're saying is so true in that they need someone that is authentic, that has truly walked the walk, which you have. So many times these consultants are non-physicians or they are physicians but haven't really practiced much and just sort of went into an administrative role. And you really need someone that has that experience and has talked to many other doctors, which I know you have. Now, I want to go back to what you said about the surveys, because I used to get a survey every year about uh, what can they do better. And I would the first couple of years when I was young and naive, I would write a book about all the things that they could do. And then I started learning after a few years, Huh? whatever happens to those surveys that I spent all that time on, they just get circular filed. So after a while, you just say "Uh, that's there's no point. In fact, you start to get angry about it because you're like, why are you asking me this? You're not going to do anything about it. So, I like that this is just a one question, which is as anonymous
1: too. It has to be anonymous because doctors now are afraid to speak out, and uh, uh, there are, there's fear out there. Absolutely. That you, that you can get fired for saying things you know, I put a whole section in my book, you know, about the disruptive physician uh, moniker that they try to throw on. And so you doctors are like, okay, you know what, if I actually start writing things, they're going to know it was me. And there's that all of a sudden you get a a, a progress improvement plan or whatever from HR. It's a a scary situation. I'm not, I'm aware because I went through that. I, I went through all this. I was fired once for not, they wanted me to a sign off on a third party billing situation they can optimize my billing yet if they did anything wrong i'm the one that gets sued or go to jail for medicare and I'm like, I won't sign that. And they fired me. And then at the last minute pulled that firing back. So I was. I, cu- I my quit district. a
0: job over a moonlighting job over that very thing. They had some new electronic health record, and they just wanted me to check a box that was basically fraud. And they said, yeah. "Oh well, don't worry about it. It's just you have to do it to get through this." Blah blah blah. And I said, "Oh no no, I won't." I, and maybe yeah. when I was younger, I might have. But having a few years under my belt and realizing that, like you mentioned in the book that the liability always ends with the physician, no matter what they tell you.
1: There's fear by physicians. So there's distrust of now uh, administrators, there's distrust of consultants. So you have all this milieu, this environment of distrust and fear. So it's not an easy thing to go in and fix. It is not.
0: So after you've asked that initial question or analyzed and determined what your score is, let's say, and you decide that you need an action plan, the next thing that you recommend to administrators is that they need to make sure they have a good foundation. You need to make sure there is good morale. You need to make sure that patients are getting good quality care. There's clear expectations. And one of the things you were just talking about is that doctors and I even say staff in general need to know that their administration cares about them.
1: I even have a, a, a chapter on the, the the CEOs need to show they care. I mean, the guy who doesn't recognize, he doesn't. How hard is it not to recognize? How hard is it to leave a note for a doctor to say, hey, "Good job." Some of the greatest books, Tom Peters' books on business, on is managing by walking around, or some something like uh, was like something like that. But they would, the managers would go and actually just see what's going on. Wouldn't it be cool to CEO see the CEO do that? You know,
0: but that's so where they would need you as a consultant to make sure that when they do walk around. They're not doing it at the time they usually do it, which is in the middle of a busy clinic day right. or, you know, and, and uh, just coming in and actually then everybody gets scared and stressed out. So right. I think I, I I could imagine administrators hearing that and saying, oh yeah, walk around. That's a great idea. And then they show up at, you know, 10 AM when you're an hour behind.
1: Right. Listen, there's, there's so many more things that can be done without even without, obviously there's things that you can analyze and, and actually have discussions with physicians and and you'll obviously target it specifically for that group but, or that hospital. But even every hospital, there should be a physician safe space or doctor's lounge. And I'm saying just doctors, not NPs and PAs. They can have their own. But doctors need to be able to talk amongst themselves. And you can't fear that. My past hospital used to fear that. It's like, what? And, and so when doctors have a sense of community, and they actually know each other, which is getting less and less now, right? Because they're not going, the hospitalists, you don't go in the hospital as much. So maybe that safe space, that hospital lounge is actually migratory and moves around and you do it at night or something and they can pay for it, the hospital. So the doctors actually get together and are a community again, that would help a lot. And those, they, they show that the, the statistics of people staying, because I feel a sense of community, they will stay longer. And that's what you're trying to do. Again, it's about physician retention. These are simple
0: things to do. I mean, you just think back to your training and you remember spending time in the physicians lounge, talking to your colleagues, prepping for the day, and it did create such a sense of community. And even just you know going to uh, medical society meetings, so having your hospital pay for their staff to be mem- members of the medical society, that's another thing that they can do to help uh, build community which many hospitals are getting out of paying for that. You also talk about having a physician liaison. Now, is that the same as a physician retention specialist or is that a different person?
1: So I, I would define a, 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 a consultant as a retention specialist to help you build your program. And then they, the connection between that program and you is probably a physician liaison who actually is involved in that as well. That's the local person. And I we had a physician uh, liaison who was an ex-nurse. In the field for 30 years, her name was Jane. She was wonderful. She's the one that made sure the lounge was stocked. She would get you your white coats if it was dirty and make sure it was clean or get a new one. And she did the little things. That person doesn't need to be involved in negotiations, doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't need to be involved in, in quarrels, doesn't mean be involved in anything like that. They're just a, uh, to, to help anything that the group of doctors need, the simple, small things, the, 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 the little things that make the difference. Of you thinking, you know what, this place really cares about me because they have Jane here to help me care about this place. Not for everyone, but again, you're looking for the one doctor you're saving. And again, the $25 book made you a million bucks. Okay. So it's just the one doc.
0: I'm getting so nostalgic and almost a little emotional because I'm thinking of my our Jane, and her name was Norma, and it was in our family medicine residency program. And she was like yeah. a mother hen. That you could go to her, she would help you with whatever you needed. She was just a a soft voice or a a friendly face. And you knew she was on your side and she cared about you. And my gosh, what a difference a Norma or a Jane makes for physicians, every hospital should have that person.
1: Absolutely. And this, I just remember just sitting down talking to Jane about life and stuff like that and not worrying about that we get back to administration, right? So this person is not a, a position of power as much as just someone to truly be a, 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 an adjunct, a helper. And that would be, I think, is still extremely important. So I have a chapter about that in the book, the doctor's lounge, and then the doctor's day. I mean, obviously, 50% at least don't even recognize
0: it. I have a quick story about doctor's day at my hospital. Uh, it was actually the day, day I decided to leave the hospital. It was doctor's day. We had just been acquired by a larger, the largest uh, for-profit health system in the United States. And they took our, over our hospital and it was doctor's day and they had given us a lovely breakfast. And instead of the usual danishes, there was eggs and things like that. So then they got up and they told us what was going to happen, that we had been acquired and that we would be going to a new electronic health record and that there would be no data migration, and that the doctors would be responsible for entering in all the data from the old medical record into the new medical record. And of course, these are patients that had you know 10 years of data plus, and all of us, our jaws were dropped, and we and I'm raising my hand like, what? And one of the new administrators said, I don't understand why you guys are acting like this. We gave you a free breakfast.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> was, that's it.
0: That was really, they were shocked and aghast that we would be so, they really didn't expect any kind of pushback. And at that moment, as after I left the meeting, I called my friend and I said, okay, I'm looking for a new job because I can't work at a place that is so tone deaf or just so clueless about the doctors that work for them.
1: Saying you to, to migrate that information to to give you quality metrics, which are now proven not to do anything, that's not Caring about us, and that's just don't don't question why we're burned out. If you're adding bureaucratic drag, don't say here's yoga or get more resi- resilience training. That just pisses us off. And so, it's very simple. If true, someone truly cares, you know it.
0: Yeah, you're not looking for lip service, you're looking for people that really want to make a change. And what you've tried to explain in this book, and I thought very well, is that it's in the hospital's best interest to make these really relatively simple changes. And really, a lot of it is just about showing empathy and showing respect for people that work for you, which to me is just common sense. And it's the way we all want to treat each other. I want to just highlight some of the other things that I loved in this book. Dr. Stephen Mussey, he's a family yeah. physician and he's a, a cartoonist. And yeah. he has cartoons throughout every chapter that just really uh, explain some of the lunacy of <laughs> what happens in medicine. And the cartoons are really great. But I also really enjoyed, he has a little preface that he wrote. And he said something that really resonated with me because I've experienced this where he said, It was like a hospital talking to the new doctor. Welcome to, to our medical community. We're so happy to have you here. You're obviously very special, except you aren't. And he goes on to say that, you know, explain why basically you're just dispensable. The first time I learned that I was dispensable was a really sad day for me, but also it was very liberating because I was working at a federally qualified health center. I was very young and naive, and my dream was to work for the underserved. And I thought, you know, I had all these illusions about what was going to happen. And like we mentioned, they were very excited to have me and they told me all these wonderful things. And then when I started, uh, of course, everything went In a very bad way. And I learned that if they fired me, that life would go on. Patients would get somehow taken care of. And it was really empowering in the sense that it made me change a little bit of the way that I thought about things. I think doctors were often a little bit much um, martyrs, people pleasers. I remember going to work like sick as as anything, and just saying, well, if I don't go, what, what the world will end. And then having that realization was actually really good in the sense that, you know, yes, I want to do my best. Yes, I want to take care of my patients, but also I need to take care of myself because if I'm gone tomorrow, the world will go on. The
1: truth is we are important, but patients move on very quickly. And I know we're altruistic and somehow, unfortunately, they can take that weakness from us, you know, as uh, people look at us as a weakness, because they can kind of like use that against us, and so, which is, makes me sad, right? And That happened to lot during COVID. And then even, even later COVID, we're like, well, you can go back sick with COVID, right? As long as you wear a mask, which is amazing, right? So I think that's really sad. And I think there is a, we need to be empowering each other more. Going back to Dr. Musi, he does a great job with his cartoons. He actually has videos of uh, on YouTube as well, where these things come to life, and they're very funny. And this is the nicest guy. He's a physician a little older than I am, even more gray hair than I have. He is the nicest guy. And I used to think because, listen, I grew up in Long Island and in New York, and and I can have this, unfortunately, a New Yorker attitude sometimes. And I, I was thinking, that you know what? I can see these administrators not liking me sometimes because I can come off with a sharp tongue and I definitely don't take a lot of crap. But Dr. Mussi a great guy and he knows he feels exactly the way I do. It wasn't me. It turns out, guess what? It wasn't me. It wasn't this uh, my attitude, which they would say, hey, Frego, it's your attitude. No, it wasn't. It's we it's whatever they can do sometimes to control you. Uh, is what they will do and they'll use against you it's it's me and his attitude it's you and you're not altruistic enough and you're and they know how to press those buttons and that's stupid that's not proper management the proper management is, is what we want you to stay. We value you. We want you to have a meaningful career here and feel good about what you're doing. How are we going to make that happen? And that's not what I'm seeing. Okay. And, you know, the
0: other thing is, is sort of a societal issue as well. One of the things that Dr. Musi says is that, you know, in his joking about uh, welcome and, you know, you're, you're uh, expendable, your patients will respect you and value you so long as you participate in their insurance. And that really made me stop because recently I was reading a Facebook post by a private practice doctor and she was she shared a letter that a patient had written where the patient was talking about how wonderful the doctor was. She's the first person that ever listened to the patient. She made the correct diagnosis of celiac disease, which can be hard to diagnose. She got her on the right treatment plan. The patient was improving, but because of a snafu with the billing and the insurance, the patient was firing the doctor. I mean, it, and it was over like something like a $20 copay. Like, what a crazy disconnect that is.
1: People don't get that as physicians. You know, it's hard on, our, on on us emotionally, right? And we have to get a little thicker skin. The reverse what you and I do with direct primary care, and I did retire in the last uh, 15 months. But, you know, I remember a patient who I, you know, had no insurance. And I diagnosed with melanoma that no one ever saw before, got them to get it done. Now they got insurance, boom, fired me in a second. Okay. It, it, unfortunately or fortunately, you can go back to house of God with the, it's the patient who has one, with the one with the disease. You got to move on and you can have connections with them, but you got to move on. But it's very hard on us. That adds to some of that burnout you just talked about. And if no one understands that, that's why you need someone to walk in our shoes and understand how that can be.
0: And just in the last couple of minutes, there was, you shared a story by Louis C.K. It was a little, it was a comic anecdote. (laughs) And it was so appropriate. I thought what he, I'm just going to read it if I could. Yeah. Everything is amazing right now, but yet nobody's happy. Like in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. Flying is the worst because people come back from flights and they tell you a horror story like, oh my God, it was like the worst day of my life. We didn't board for 20 minutes and then we got on the plane and we had to sit on the runway. Oh, really? Well, then what happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? You're flying. Yep. It's amazing. Everyone on the plane should be going, oh my God, wow, you're flying. You're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yep. <laughs> and he's so yep. right, but that's how we are. Like you can go to a doctor, they can make this a, a life-changing diagnosis. And you're like, oh, I had to wait a long time. And uh, they didn't take my insurance. And we really have to, I think this is, I guess, across the board, take a breath, take, stop for a minute. You talk about stoic philosophy in the book, which I'm a, I'm really into that lately, which is about just, you know, really realizing what's happening in the moment.
1: The Louis C.K. thing is we all have that, right? We, we, we get used to something so quickly. So in our drug primary care world, we give patients 60 minutes, we get them in within, you know, within an hour to the practice. And yet some people still complain. Like you're, if you forgot where you came from. And so I actually did it in the book is like, listen, there's doctors, Who are you going to do all these incredible things? Hopefully, that I recommend this book. And they're still going to like complain because they're getting used to it. And there's ways to now, in your newsletter, which you don't have now, is or, or or regular regular email saying, Hey, I'm glad that the locker's lounge is doing well. We're still stocking it with this to remind people what we're doing for you. And so we, and I, and I did it in my direct primary care practice too, is that I would email after a a procedure, I would email saying, hey, I'm glad I can uh, uh, drain that abscess, which would cost $700 at the uh, other office. And I got to save you that money. I'm glad I can help you. We love saving people money. And so I would do that because I know that's how humans are. And listen, we are, we are, we're not perfect. And I get that. And physicians aren't perfect. And administrators aren't perfect. And again, this was not a screaming, I hate you, administrators, I'm actually literally saying, here's the handbook. I'm not, and I don't think you'll use it against doctors. Maybe you could, but I think you can do it to keep doctors happier, which makes the environment better, patients happier, and they recruit other doctors and they stay longer. It's not, this is not rocket science.
0: Well, I want to say, I love the book. Just to remind everyone, the book is called The Hospital Guide to Physician Retention. And you said you have a website, which is?
1: Yeah, physicianretention.com. I really
0: encourage everybody out there. I think this is great reading for physicians because it really helps really hone in on a lot of the problems and especially physicians that are looking at moving into administrative type leadership. And of course, I think it's man it should be mandatory reading for all hospital or clinic administrators. If you want to get better outcomes, if you want to make more money, if you want to be more successful, you need to make sure that you can retain the best physician so you can get the best patient care. And I think doc- Dr. Farrego has a lot of great advice and it sounds like he's going to be available for consulting services as well. I know him personally. And I, I can assure you that his aim is pure, which is to take care of patients. And to do that, we have to take care of physicians.
1: Rebecca, thank you again. I'm a big fan of you guys, the, the guts. I said this before online. I've said this on by blogs for, for, for what you've done for your book and the bravery to write that, because I know how bad that crew comes after you. And I will not go into detail it was I'm. You guys are the best. You're awesome. I've always said that over and over. I love the book. Uh, I want to just thank you for uh, having me on here. And yes, doctors buy this for administrators and hand them the book for a Christmas present. How's that?
0: I love that. Well, thanks so much, Doug. We hope to have you back another time. So, all right, we'll see you on the next podcast.